You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Well, this year we have been celebrating Advent, and at Ascend Church we do enjoy tradition, but not for tradition's sake. Some of you might be at churches where you do the same thing over and over again, and there's nothing wrong with that. But one of the dangers in repetition is that those repetitions can become white noise. And so what we try to do at Advent is enjoy the tradition, but to change things up. And so this year we have been focusing on one verse for four services. That verse is Isaiah 9-6. And where some of you might not be familiar with what that verse says by the reference, you are likely familiar with it as I begin to repeat it from Handel's Messiah. For to us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. We studied a few weeks ago that this idea of God being a wonderful counselor is an expression to hope. Imagine, if you will, that no matter what happens in your life, that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every second of your life, you have access to the most wonderful counselor that should elicit within us hope. But it isn't just wonderful counselor, it is also mighty God. God expects for humanity to win the war against evil. God expects for humanity to win the war against our own sin. That is, on our own, an impossible task. And yet God gives us exactly what we need to win that war, and that tool is God himself. That is mighty God. What an expression of love. But then last Sunday, we talked about how he is also everlasting father. And as father, he provides for us. He protects us. He authors our salvation. And this isn't just a bookended idea. This is an everlasting idea. Because of that, we have great joy that he is our eternal father. This evening, we focus on the last birth name that he has given in Isaiah 9-6, and that is the birth name that many of our songs have focused on. It is the title, Prince of Peace. The idea of peace is captured well in this definition. It is the absence of hostilities. We live in a day where we need this desperately, don't we? All you need to do is put out on Twitter your conviction and you will experience hostilities. There will be some that might agree with you, but especially the closer you get to God's standards and God's definitions, you will experience hostilities that disagree. But this idea of hostility is not unique to our day. It actually goes back to the Garden of Eden. And the first example of hostility was between the serpent and the people of God. And that battle was won by the serpent, or so it seemed. From from that moment on, creation was about hostilities. Humans being uh, in hostility with each other. Humans being in hostility with creation. Humans being in hostility with their creator. And as God responded to this battle, as God responded to this hostility, he began to expand our definition of what peace could be. 
It is not just the absence of hostilities. It is also a reconciled relationship with God and others. And in fact, God gave a promise that this would be experienced by every human being in Genesis 3.15, saying that there would be an offspring or a child born to the woman that one day would bruise the serpent's head. That apparent victor in the Garden of Eden would one day be defeated and all hostility would be removed and peace and reconciliation would be achieved. Well, from Genesis 3.15 on, there were prophecies that gave more detail about who this child would be, and that's where we find the promise of Isaiah 9.6, that he would be called, that child that one day would be born, would be called the prince of peace, the ruler of peace, the one who would oversee all ending of hostilities and reconciliation with God and with man. And so it's no wonder when we arrive at Luke 2, In verse 14, just as the angels were about to disappear, they said to the shepherds who were in the fields watching over their flock by night, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill toward man. It's at this point that we would expect the film or the movie of the Bible to begin to roll the credits to begin to have a John Williams crescendo of a soundtrack. And before you know it, we begin to see all of the characters across the screen who had participated in bringing this amazing event to fruition. But there's a, there's a wrinkle in this story. The wrinkle actually occurs in Matthew 10.34. This child who is the prince of peace, this child whom the angels said will bring peace peace on earth, goodwill to his people. This same child, grown up now, says to his disciples, do not think. Now you may say, what does that mean? Well, do not think is a a warning. It is a warning to Christ followers that things are not what they seem. In fact, the traditional answers do not fit the situation. That's what the phrase means when Jesus said, do not think. It alerted his disciples to the fact that how things seemed and what they would expect to happen is not reality. And what Jesus says is, do not think that I have come to bring peace. Doesn't that seem like an odd statement that the prince of peace, that the one that the angels declared would bring peace, goodwill to his people would say, I didn't actually come to bring peace. It seems like there may be a contradiction in play. It may seem like this is a twist in the Bible story that makes it untrue. But, but to understand what Jesus was actually saying there brings us to the point where this message is for you. You see, up to this point, we've done all of this together. We've sung together. We've listened to a story together. We've listened to an Advent reading together. But this part of the service is for you as an individual. Because you need to recognize what true peace is and what is required from you to gain access to it. So in order to be able to understand that, we must contrast the peace that Jesus was talking about. 
The contrast is found in the context of this passage. What Jesus was doing in Matthew chapter 10 is sending out his disciples on their first mission, as it were. Their first mission to bring his message to the people in Israel. And as he instructed them, as he gave them the details of what he was asking them to do, he actually gives them a very interesting twist. He tells his disciples, expect hostility. Well, this was unexpected. How could the prince of peace, how could the one that the angels declared would bring peace on earth, tell his disciples bringing a message of true peace that they would experience hostility and not just hostility, but hostility from unexpected sources? Well, the answer is given in the rest of Matthew 10, 34. He says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is where true hope lies. It's in experiencing the sword. And the sword that Jesus was talking about was not a a literal weapon of war. It was actually a symbolic representation of a spiritual sword. I want to give you four surgeries that is required for you to experience from this sword that will lead to true peace. First, the sword does surgery on our hearts. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not ultimately an intellectual exercise. If you are waiting for the moment where logic will catch up with the argument, and then you will be able to agree intellectually with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not experiencing the sword. The sword does surgery on your heart. The sword penetrates your inner being. This is not a formula that mathematically adds up. This is a truth that your heart must grasp. Hebrews 4.12 says we find this to be the sword of the word of God. That when we study God's word, it reveals to us who we truly are, who God truly is, and how we are to respond to life. And it cuts into our inner being. It does surgery on your heart. But number two, it does surgery on your horizontal definitions and expectations. How many of you are pursuing something in this life with the hope that it will satisfy? Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a degree. Maybe it's a a relationship status. Maybe you're placing your hope on a football team. Whatever it is that you are pursuing in this life, that this world offers you, that you view as true gain, the sword of the gospel does surgery on it. And Paul says in Philippians 3 and verse 7, everything that he counted gain, he now counts as loss. Friend, I can submit to you by my own experience that the world offers joys and enjoyment, but not true satisfaction and not true peace. Which the third surgery that this sword does is surgery to set us apart from the world. When you start thinking this way, when you start speaking this way, when you start living this way, you will look different than the person in the cubicle next to you. You will look different than your neighbor. You will look different than the people sharing their anger and hostility on social media. You will look different because you are following after Christ, and Christ is different. He brings true peace. And then the fourth surgery 
is that it does surgery on our perspective. What it does for us is remind us that all of this will ultimately be fulfilled not in the here and now, not in the years of life God has ordained for you. We won't experience the full expression of this peace until we get to heaven, until Jesus sets up his kingdom. We will not experience that fully, but we'll experience a down payment on that. And this is what the sword that Jesus brings does surgery to bring true peace. Here's the full definition of what the Bible says true peace is. It is the absence of hostilities and a reconciled relationship with God and others in the context of a new creation. The Bible speaks in 2 Corinthians 5.17 of becoming a new creation that we actually begin to think differently. We begin to speak differently. We begin to live differently, not because we are religious, but because we are in relationship with the God of the universe, and that changes us. And how do we get access to this? Well, ABC. Number one, admit. Admit that God is holy, that the God of scriptures, that the God who spoke this universe into existence is holy and he demands perfection of all of us. And as such, all of us fall short of that perfection and are therefore righteously condemned to hell. We must admit that. Have you? Now that is tremendously bad news, but it moves us to be, which is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the solution for our failure. Believe that Jesus' completed work on the cross and his resurrection gives us everything that we need to access relationship with him, which moves us to see we must confess our sins and confess that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. Oh, friends, this is not just a historical religious exercise. These are not just facts that are contained in the event we celebrate tomorrow. These are the pathway to true hope and help and peace in your life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is an opportunity for you to engage with the true gift of Christmas. It is the gift that is offered to every human being. It is the gift that allows you to experience the end of hostilities between you and God and one day between you and man. Have you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Have you admitted? Have you believed? Have you confessed? If not, would you do that now? At the end of the service, we will have members of our prayer team that will be at the ends of the stage. They would love to talk with you. Maybe you're, you're starting to realize that this is true, but you need more information. Maybe you pray right now and give your life to Christ. They can help you with next steps and how you can grow in that faith. And then, friend, if you have given your life to Christ, if you have received the gift of Christmas, are you living according to true peace? Interacting with the sword that does surgery that makes us look different because it makes us look like Christ. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have on this fourth service of Advent to focus on peace, true peace. And I pray even now as we continue the tradition of our Christmas Eve service that we would enjoy that, but that the truths that we have just studied would not fade into the distant backgrounds of our memory. 
Use it according to your perfect plan and by the power of your Holy Spirit so that Christ will receive the glory. It's in his name I pray. Amen.